talks about the glory, the beauty of blood what was shed. Well, how many know it's talking about the cross of Jesus Christ? When Jesus died on the cross, he died very deliberately and on purpose. It was so our sins could be forgiven. See, there's a, there's a principle in Scripture. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You know, Adam and Eve, when they were cast from the Garden of Eden, God didn't send them out naked and alone. He clothed them with animal skins. How I many know he didn't buy that animal skin in Kmart either? You see, an animal gave its life. And the most incredible thing to imagine and that we realize in communion is the creator of the world, God himself, became the savior of the world and loved us so much that he substituted his life for ours. He's a just God, which means uh, uh, sin will have to be paid for in some way. But he made a way so we didn't have to pay for it. Come on, he paid for it. And you know, in the world we live in today, you look in the future, and I mean, it can be a scary thing. Social Security is supposed to be bankrupt. Pensions are underfunded. Uh, ISIS wants to destroy America. Uh, Muslims want to take over the world. Uh, global warming is either going to freeze us or, you know, burn us up. I mean, there's just... A, a fear that can overcome us and you can get discouraged but how many know Jesus said take heart I've overcome the world how many know Jesus said I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you but I'll always be with you even to the end of the age how many know Jesus said I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back again and receive you to myself well friends that's what we celebrate in communion today the world is dark but how many know God turns the light on and we're not walking alone today, friends. The presence of the Lord is here. It's here as we receive communion. It's here as we worship. It's here as we pray because God is real and God cares. Praise the Lord. Paul the Apostle said these words. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And then Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you remembrance of me this simple portion of bread it's just a little flour and water it's called unleavened bread leaven in the Bible was a picture of sin and we remember that Jesus lived a sinless life and he paid a price that he didn't deserve for a debt he didn't owe he paid it for me 
Lord, as we hold this piece of bread in our hand, we want to ask you today, first of all, that you would reveal your love for us in a deeper measure. Don't let it just be in our heads. Let it sink deeply in our hearts. The fact that our God loves us, that our God forgives us, that God makes a way for us. We just want to say welcome, Lord. The Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Lord, you said if we would draw near to you, you'd draw near to us. And that's what we're trying to do. Draw near to God. Because in God, there's forgiveness. There's hope. There's a second chance. There's purpose. The wonderful thing is we don't have to hide our failures. We bring them to the cross and turn them over to you. I ask you to bless this bread, Lord. Heal our broken bodies and heal our broken soul. In Jesus' name. In the same manner, Scripture says he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, mind you, Jesus at the Last Supper, he's talking to a room of his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, as Christians, we look back and we look ahead. Well, actually, we look at, uh, backwards at the cross. We look today at the reality of God, and we look ahead to the second coming of Christ. The color of this cup reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. That how may know not for our sins alone, but the sins of the whole world. And if God can forgive me, how may know that I need to forgive anyone that sinned against me. So, Lord, today with this cup in hand, we humbly ask you to forgive us all the things that we've done wrong and the multitude of things we've neglected to do right. God, today I know that you're not there to punish us with guilt and shame. You want us, Lord, to come eagerly to the throne of grace for mercy. And we come there today. We ask you to give us a brand new start. Let us find resolve in our heart to live for God fully and completely. Today, Lord, we bless those that sinned against us, those that hurt us deeply, the pain of a divorce, the horror of a rape, the lie of a friend, the parent that walked away, whatever it may be today, Lord, they don't deserve forgiveness, but neither do we. And just as we freely received it, we give it to others. We bless, Lord, those that have sinned against us. And now with our cup lifted to heaven, we simply look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. How many believe that today? Yeah. Well, Lord, we lift this cup to heaven and pray that we live lives that are worthy of our calling and we'd be ready at that last great trumpet sound in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Praise the Lord. Hey, stand to your feet and let's celebrate with one more song this morning.
God we serve. Amen. We serve a good God. Why don't you turn around and greet two or three people. Tell them how happy you are to see them in the house of the Lord. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. The first Saturday of every month, we have free extended childcare for our Saturday night attendees. You can go out on a date or run some errands till 9.30 and pizza is provided for the kids. Pick up a ticket from an usher after Saturday night service, recheck your child in, and you're on your way. SUM Texarkana Bible College and Theological Seminary invites you to our June Expo, which will be in the Church on the Rock Connect Cafe on June 26 at 12.30 p.m. You can hear from our admissions office about all of the fully accredited classes and programs that we offer and how there's an opportunity for you to earn your seminary degree right here in Texarkana, Texas. For more information, contact Whitney Jackson or check out our website at sum.edu. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, amen. 
Amen. Well, uh, one, we just want to say we're so glad that you're here worshiping them with us this morning. But I have a few things that I want to let you know that are just going on here in our church. Uh, first, a special announcement. If you're an Arkansas resident, we've been hearing a lot about the repeal M-130 campaign, and voting is actually this week. Okay, so if you want to early vote, you can actually do that tomorrow on Monday at the courthouse. And then as well, if you want to vote, just a regular voting is actually on Tuesday, the 28th, and that'll be at your regular voting polls, okay? So be sure to, uh, to go out and participate and vote in that. And then as well, we want to kind of let you know our Kid Zone is getting ready, gearing up to go to camp. They're taking a group of 41 students uh, to Dry Gulch here in a couple of weeks, but they have eight students that still need help to be uh, supported and to be sponsored, and they're needing to raise around $2,000 for these kids to be able to go to camp. So if that's just kind of tugging on your heart, maybe that kind of speaks to you, and you want to give a, a love offering towards that, you can mark that as you give today. And then also, our mission-minded team is partnering with Kid Zone, and they're doing a bake sale in the foyer, so be sure to stop by their table on the way out. Uh, they'll be happy if you'll support their cause, and so will your stomach. Okay, so stop by and grab your brownie. Amen. Amen. Anybody notice anything new out in that parking lot sticking up in the air? Got the new sign in, give God glory. Amen. It'd be running today, but I think Travis was watching Netflix last night and lost the remote to it, so we haven't. Now, they got some tweaking to do. It should be up and running Wednesday, and um, just another step toward Imagine More. Amen. Continue worship, Lord, with our tithes and offerings. In Luke 16, 10 through 12, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own property of your own? You know, speaking of the remotes, uh, don't you hate it when your kids don't put the remote back, you know, like where it was? Or I guess we got to blame somebody, right? Or if the couch eats it. But I always had a problem, or my dad had a problem with me when I'd borrow his tools because they would never end up back where they were. I could leave them in the grass, get hit by the mower out in the yard. And, just, and my dad always just put things back where you got them. Has anybody heard that before? Just put it back. Just a simple thing, isn't it? But I think I'm involved in sowing and reaping because now my son tends to do that to me, and I kind of know what it feels like. But, you know, what's such a big deal about tools or the remote? Well, first of all, taking care of someone else's property, that's what stewardship is, correct? And God has given us everything. So not just our finances, but just how we take care of ourselves, our finances, that's what stewardship is all about. And the idea in six, uh, in Luke 16, he's teaching us that if we'll handle the small things, that's a test of character. And one of the small things he talks about is money. It's a small thing compared to the really big responsibilities. And I've just seen God, people that are responsible in that area, it just translates into good parenting, into just leadership, and a lot of other things. So anyhow, this I read this statement by somebody. To get more money is difficult, to keep it more difficult, but to spend it wisely most difficult of all. What do you say? Pray. We pray God just give us grace and wisdom individually to be able to handle what he's given us, but also as a church, continued grace, whether it's missions and in our community and all that's going on. God bless you as you give today. I could do this out of your hand. With my eyes, I can't see a thing. I've heard from heaven loud and clear. I can't feel it. I can feel it drawing near. Cause you are the maker of the rain. You are the maker of the rain. 
My garden could use a little shower, but we're not talking about physical wet rain. We're talking about a spiritual rain from heaven. We're talking about God pouring out His Spirit. And how many know that's what all of us need individually? A greater passion for God or refreshing. How many know it's what our nation needs, an awakening? So could we just stand to our feet together and just let our, our song be a prayer to God? God, would you pour out your Spirit? Let it rain on us. Let it rain on every church. But let it rain on America and turn our nation back to God. Come on, sing it again, Pastor Nick. Let's reach out to heaven as we sing it. God, let it rain. today, God, a lot of us came in today with problems, with struggles. We just pray that the very presence of God, God would wash our anxiety away, wash our fear away. Give us a sense of peace, Lord, where there's been a storm in our soul. And God, we just pray that you awaken the sleeping giant, that you would awaken us spiritually, that our love for God would grow as a consuming passion. Welcome today, Lord. Could you just pray that prayer? It doesn't do any good for you if I pray it. But say, Lord, would you just let a consuming passion for Christ grow in my life? It is the great commandment to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Just say, Lord, that's what I want. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you are looking marvelous this morning. And you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at a bit of a historical account of the ascension of Christ. If you know in your, in your Bible reading, of course, it was dark days when Christ was crucified, about three days, and how many know everything changed when that tomb was open? We celebrated it on Easter, but it didn't stop then. After Jesus' resurrection, he hung out, he walked around, he talked to people, he taught the disciples. And what we're going to read about this morning is called the Ascension of Christ. That is when Jesus literally, after the resurrection a number of days, he literally went back to heaven to be there until the second coming. Notice Acts 1 verse 9. When Jesus had said these things to the disciples, he was lifted up 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. Just imagine however you picture Jesus looked. But he, he was on a mountain, and he literally just began to be lifted in the air. There were no cables that lifted him, but once again, he exercised authority over the natural laws. He was taken out of their sight, verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven, two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels. And these angels said, why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's an amazing statement. These angels, as the church age is beginning, officially on the day of Pentecost, but what, what began at this particular point in time was an expectation of the second coming of Christ. It is a period that's collectively called between that point and the coming of Christ and the end of the world called the last days. And I'm starting a series this morning called The Final Chapter. And it's about living in the last days. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a series that we're going to try to figure out who the Antichrist is. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a book that was written that was called uh, The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody remember that? I mean, it had the charts and the people figured out and everything. Only problem was it was not quite right. So we're not going to try to be predictive of people nor sequencing of events. I'm not going to have a lot of charts and things. But my focus is to teach you what the Bible says about the future and most importantly is to help you live in such a way that would please the Lord. Because how many know the way we live is what counts? Even if we could say this is the Antichrist or this is when the tribulation is beginning, how many know what still, I can't change any of those events, but what I can do is affect the way that I live my life. And that's what we're going to talk about in the series. This morning I'm going to do, uh, begin with an overview I'll talk a little bit more about what this idea last days includes, but I'm going to give you basically just a broad list of, of things that are happening, that are coming in the days ahead, things that we can anticipate before they happen. And then we're going to spend time in 2 Peter. Uh, this series will take larger portions of Scripture, in this case 2 Peter 3, and we'll do a verse-by-verse -verse look at it. Uh, uh, next week I'm going to talk about the faith of our fathers or, the, or the, uh, the way that our founding fathers, their spiritual faith. It's Fourth of July weekend. But after that we're going to take six weeks and we'll look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and, and uh, Luke 21, Mark 13 when Jesus talked about the last days. We'll go to the book of Revelation. We'll see the words to the seven churches and also what it, what it might teach you. So I think you'll, uh, think you'll enjoy the series. It's called The Final Chapter. Now, let's first begin, what are the last days? This is a biblical phrase, it's a scriptural phrase, but it's a period of time uh, in which the final period of time in the world as we know it. In other words, at one, one day, there's not going to be a tomorrow like there was a yesterday. At one day, there's going to be a conclusion to this age. Last days is plural, though. It implies a long time. New believers or new, uh, the New Testament believers believe that the last days are the, the, were upon them, but they believed in the imminent coming of Christ. In other words, they believed Jesus could come at any moment. And I suggest to you every generation, including ours, should have that same expectation that Christ could come in my lifetime. Christ could come tomorrow. How I many know we don't know when that day will be, but it's a day of certainty that's before us. And how I many know we also don't know the day of our own death? Just this week, we had a church member, Randall Roy, went to heaven unexpectedly. They tell me he was in his home. The last thing his wife saw is he was kneeling in his bed, and the next thing she knew, he was gone. Just like that. We just never know what's in front of us, but the Bible tells us how to live and what to expect. 
Now, 1 John 2.18 said this about the last hour. So we've got last days, last hour, and even last day that we'll talk about. But 1 John said this, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and therefore we know it's the last hour. This thought is amplified in the book of Acts. Acts 2 talks about the last day being the day of the Lord is synonymous It says, the sun will be turned to darkness. The sun will be turned to darkness, that that great orb in the sky that produces heat, that causes plants to grow and that keeps us warm. There's going to be a day where that bright light will be stymied. It will be turned to darkness, but the Bible says, and the moon will be turned to blood, notice now, before the day of the Lord comes. So we've got last days, last day, and last hour. It's kind of a countdown. This last day will be a day of final judgment of the unrepentant, but it'll be a day of salvation for the believer. At that point in time, the created order, the heavens and the earth, will be destroyed. We'll read about that today, but God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, As we look at the last days, I think we make a mistake when we try to be too much uh, chart-oriented, trying to figure out, well, this and this and this and this and this. I think our focus needs to be on what the Bible's main focus was. And for the New Testament church, the main focus was the fact that Christ is coming again and the number one responsibility of the church is to evangelize the whole world. That is to bring the gospel of Christ to every person and every tribe and every nation around the world. Even Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, Jesus said, this gospel will be preached to the entire world and then the end will come. So that's kind of the focus of the last days. Now, uh, the Bible predicts events that are going to be happening, one of which is it says in the book of Timothy that evil people will get worse and worse. Have you stopped recently to look at the world? Just this past year, I, I don't know if I could have been more appalled But when the undercover videos reveal the antics of Planned Parenthood selling baby parts and they were openly talking across the table just like you and I might talk about, I don't know, a dove hunting trip that's coming up. What is it going to cost? Where are we going to go? They're talking about, well, here's what I'll give you for an intact cadaver. Here's what I'll give you for an intact heart, for an intact brain. And they're selling baby parts. And it's almost like it was a yawn in America. Human beings. You know, the gorilla, remember the gorilla, you know, that they shot, that, you know, that had grabbed and drugged that little boy, and the little boy fell in the gorilla pen. Oh, we were up in arms about a gorilla, but it's like a human being doesn't even matter anymore. We live in a world where we're getting used to, desensitized to evil that's around us. Uh, the Bible says this is going to happen. The Bible also says that believers will endure persecution. Uh, you read the book of Revelation, it's a bloody book for believers. Many believers are martyred. Uh, there's a cost, there's a price to pay particularly for those that are believing in Christ when the mark of the beast is brought to the world and you can't buy or sell without that mark. These could be dark days, but how many know Jesus talks about us overcoming? He talks about us enduring to the end. But you know it couldn't be any worse for persecution than it is today for Christians around the world that are suffering under the cause of Christ. As Christian brothers today were in a comfortable air-conditioned building, they were perhaps driven from their home last night or drug out of their home in the middle of the night by a Muslim crowd simply because they're a Christian 
and they are commanded to either deny their faith. You've seen this. The ISIS, the video, the guys in the orange and the black, they just cut their heads off simply because they believed in Christ. And it's almost a silence in the world over this. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Of course, it talks about the second coming. It talks about the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, this should give you joy. Any time a Christian dies, we're sad because we love people. But how many know we don't say goodbye? On Wednesday, we'll do Randall's memorial service. And if they happen to have an open casket, I don't know about you, that's not the way I want to be remembered. But if there's an open casket and you go to the casket of a funeral and they shut that, it's a solemn sound, mom and dad and everybody's crying. But yet at the same time as a believer with tears in our eyes, we can look and say, I'll see you later. This is not a goodbye because the dead in Christ will rise. Other events to happen, the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church simply means it's talked about in Thessalonians where Christ will come in the air. There'll be the sound of the archangel, the trumpet sound of God. The dead in Christ will rise and scripture says then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the air to meet the Lord. How many are are afraid of heights? Let me see here. Afraid of heights? Afraid of flying? Yeah, I can kind of identify with that. Well, we're going to have to get over it because one day day we're not going to have a runway takeoff. One day we're going up. It's called the rapture, uh, the great tribulation, a great seven-year period where, uh, of trouble that the world has never known. The rise of the Antichrist. There is an Antichrist spirit in the world today. We see it in operation, uh, that antagonism, that hostility towards Christians who stand for biblical truth. But one day there will be a man that will arise that the world will worship. He'll have supernatural powers. He'll mesmerize the world. I personally believe that this one world government will come about when there's an economic collapse around the world. Just a few days ago when the, uh, Britain a- exited the European Union, our stock market dove, what, five, 600 points. It's like we're all connected today because of technology. The Antichrist is coming. The beast and false prophet are both coming. There's something called the millennial or thousand-year reign of Christ. But then as we'll read in today's passage, there will be the destructions of the heaven and earth by fire and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. We'll talk about that this morning. One day Satan will be cast into hell. One day you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat, the mercy seat. It's a place where you and I will stand not for heaven and hell judgment, but our works will be judged. Scripture talks about our works being tried by fire. If it's of stubble, it'll burn up. But if it's of purified gold, and that's what we're doing with our lives. And then, of course, the great white throne judgment. That's when the unbelievers are judged before God because they have rejected the Christ of the cross, and they will experience an eternity in a very real place called hell. The Bible says it's real. It's been talked about before. People laugh at it today. But it's a real place, the Bible says, and God doesn't want anybody to go there. He wants everybody to go to heaven, but people get to choose. And, of course, ultimately the great news is we all get to live forever in a real place called heaven. There'll be a real earth that we'll be doing something on, and we'll live eternity with God. Come on, give him a big hand today. Now, that's just kind of a panorama. We'll explore these these topics in greater depth, but today I want to go to 2 Peter 3. And we want to exegete the passage. We want to go verse by verse and uh, see what Peter's words were. He was, the, he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he writes what he calls his second letter that he's writing to you. This is the book of 2 Peter. In both of these letters, first and second, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. 
What he's saying is, I, I want you to think about something. I see a lot of people fanning ushers. Help us out here. Um, maybe we need, put the temperature way up there. Let's make hell hot today while we talk about what could be coming. <laughs> nah, we need some air. Um, let's see. He says, I want you to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord our Savior through his apostles. So what Peter is saying is there's right ways and wrong ways to think about what's going to happen in the future. There are biblical views and unbiblical views. For example, some people believe a one-world government, globalism, is a good thing. They'll welcome the Antichrist. I don't believe so. Some people believe that there's many ways to heaven. Some people believe we all worship the same God. All unbiblical beliefs that will lead you to a faulty conclusion. I mean, no, Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man goes to heaven but through me. And the exclusiveness is because of the cross that we talked about today. But some are right, some are wrong. What Paul is, or what Peter is saying is he says, I want you to remember the predictions or the prophecies Prophecies of the Old Testament, these prophetic words of the New Testament apostle and Jesus himself. And I want you to think about prophecy, particularly if you're here and you're a bit skeptical of the claims of Christianity. Um, I want to encourage you to, to, to do an honest look at fulfilled prophecy. Prophecies are predictions. And for example, in Jesus' life, you can look in the Old Testament, there are literally dozens of words that were spoken hundreds of years before he was born that were fulfilled in his lifetime. Do you know when Judas took that money to betray Christ, that whole scene is described in the Old Testament. When Jesus was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's recorded in Psalms. If you look at the fact when the Romans had Jesus on the cross, typically they would divide the clothes and, and, and the cloth among themselves, but it was predicted that they wouldn't tear it, but that one person would take it all. I mean, it's incredible. A statistician has basically said this. If you were to take only seven of those prophecies that were given 700 years before he was born, and the, and the odds of that being fulfilled is like taking one silver dollar and hiding it somewhere in the state of Texas, but cover the whole state of Texas with two feet of silver dollars. Now imagine if this room today, just this room, was filled with silver dollars. How many think we would be grabbing some and putting them in our pockets? Sure, but, but imagine the whole state of Texas and there's one silver dollar that's got an X marked on it and you're supposed to close your eyes, blindfold yourself, spin around and pick one silver dollar. The odds of that are just like the odds of someone as Christ fulfilling these prophecies. So, it's, so what we're looking at though is not just the prophecy of the cross, but we're looking now about the future and Peter will even go as far as to call these facts. Verse 3, he says, knowing... Key word, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, which simply means people will laugh at you because you're a Christian, and they'll follow their own sinful desires. And they'll say, and kind of laughingly, <laughs> where's the promise of this coming of Jesus? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything happens is continuing just as it was from the beginning. Come on, man. You don't really believe that, do you? I want to, if I could perhaps show you a scoffer mocking God. Yeah, I don't know if you ever heard the comedian George Carlin. He was a stand-up comedy guy. You can take a peek at him. George died a couple years ago. I don't know if he's laughing today in the way he was in this video. Take a peek here. Religion has actually convinced people 
that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. Five million views on YouTube. Who knows how many thousands of people paid $20, in that large uh, venue he was in to mock God. And he goes on for an hour. That's what they were doing in Peter's day. People laughed about Jesus and the Bible 2,000 years ago, and they're laughing today. They were wrong then, they're wrong now, and they'll regret it one day. Back in verse, uh, in verse 4, when they asked the question, where's the promise of his coming? Since our fathers fell asleep, everything is continuing in the same vein. In other words, and here's the philosophy because it's it live in America today. It's basically this, that to, uh, we can figure out what's going to happen tomorrow by looking at yesterday. And that's exactly what they were saying because our fathers, ever since things began, there's been no supernatural intervention. The world operates by natural laws and processes and there's no room or no place for the supernatural. There's no such thing as the second coming of God. That's all a fairy tale for uninformed people. Well, that's exactly what he was saying. And Peter described these scoffers in, in verse 10. He said, those who follow their own twisted sexual desire, they despise authority, they're proud, they're arrogant. They even laugh at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. What he's saying is there's a generation of people just like George Carlin that not only laugh, make it up, but pay to hear it. They think what you hold so dear is, fun, is, is, is a joke. Here's verse 5. For these people, the mockers, the scoffers, they deliberately overlook the fact. That's a key word. He'll use it several times. The fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. In other words, God spoke in one of the seven days of creation. He created water, and the, the firmament, the, 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 the ground as we know it, came out of the water. God the creator did this, and he went on to say that by means of this, uh, and verse 6, and that by means of these, or the water, the world that then existed was deluged by water and perished. In other words, the same God that created the world and, and used water to create and sustain life then judged life. He suspended the natural law. He suspended what he had set in place because God can change natural processes as he chooses. Peter believed in a literal creation by God just like I do and probably you do. He believed in a literal event called Noah's flood. Once again, if you're skeptical of the claims of Christianity, there are over 200 documents from cultures all over the world that all hold this, this account of a, of a flood that surrounded their area and one man being saved in this giant ship. That is too much even for the rational mind to ignore. Verse 7 says this, By the same word, the word of God, the same word that created water and then used it for destruction, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for 
fire. That's talking about a judgment in the future. This time, not with water like the ark, but fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. I wish I could tell you that was not true. I wish I could tell you that God was, was a, a, a loving God and no bad things will happen and nobody will go to a place called hell, but I cannot tell you that. I can tell you God is first and foremost loving, but God is also just. And those that reject, listen, just like the warning of a police officer. If you're going down the interstate or wherever, let's say Highway 67. I live in Redwater. And let's just say that there's a, a highway patrolman and they're gonna and they're gonna set up a place for three days and they're gonna monitor people's people's driving. And the first day, I think the speed limit is 60, and the first day I'm going 70. And he stops me and I say, oh, you know, I'm a preacher and uh, um, I'm going to visit the nursing home and please excuse me or whatever. No. Listen, if you're guilty, say, sir, I'm guilty, ma'am, I'm guilty. I, I, I hope you don't have to give me a ticket, but I was wrong and I'm sorry. But let's say you wiggle yourself out of it. But the next day, they're there again, and this time you're going 75. It's like you're being oblivious. And that's exactly the portrait that's painted here. People hear about God. They mock God. They laugh. Isn't it amazing how much of the Bible George Carlin knew? But he knew it in mocking terms rather than in the factual terms as the Scripture talks about. Notice what he says. Because this idea of fire and judgment, it was not new. It was written 400 years before Peter wrote his in the book of Malachi. Malachi 4.1 says, There's a day coming that will burn like a hot furnace. And all the proud and evil people will be like straw. That doesn't sound good to me. Look at verse 8, though. We'll see the thoughts of God. This is so powerful. If you want to understand the nature of God, understand this verse. Don't overlook this one fact that, beloved, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, remember, their argument was, why is God so long in coming? Where is the promise of his coming? Implicit in that is that he hadn't come, so he's not going to come. It's been such a long time. But the Lord, verse 9, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. And I want you to say this with me. Not wishing that any should perish. Can we say that again? Not wishing that any should perish. That's George Carlin. That's Adolf Hitler. Come on. Go down the list. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. God looks at time differently than we do. You know, my life began 15, what am I? a while back. Cut off my beard that they say I look 20 years younger now. So I'm 39 again. You can't even see my muscle. Let me just do it like this now. No. The Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Now, for me, I, I'm, I'm law, it's over my head right there. Because when there's a beginning, everything that I know about the world is bounded by some time-space continuum. And what I mean by that is it, 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 there was nothing before Genesis 1-1, but I can't imagine that. Because, for example, if you were to, if you were to empty everything out of this room and they say, well, there's nothing in the room, well, the room is defined by the walls and the floor and the ceiling. If I take this, this little water bottle 
If I drink it all and there's nothing in it, I throw it away. Well, it's bounded by the, bounded by the, 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 the plastic that gives it context. But there was nothing. There was no universe. Now, the universe now is expanding at the speed of light. But where is it? I mean, is it like just it suspended? Is it? I, I can't even get around it. In math, I remember the little infinity sign, and I just wrote it just like I wrote the number two, but I can't get a hold of infinity. Genesis 1-1, God already existed, and time as we know it began. And time marches through the pages of the Old Testament. It marches through the central point of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our time is divided by His birth. It marches forward to the book of Revelation, and then time stops, and eternity continues. God lives in the realm of eternity. He transcends time. For me, you know, time is a watch and a calendar. To God, a day is as a thousand years and as a thousand years is as a day. So the fact that Christ hadn't returned yet is not because he won't return or can't return. It's because God wants as many people to come to Christ as possible. Again, in this series, I'm talking about our priorities and our actions of our lives. That's why reaching people for Christ should be the most important thing that we do while we're on this earth. It is the heart of God. He is a just God, and judgment will come. But before He's a just God, He's a merciful God. Come on. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. And when the Bible speaks of heaven, there are three levels of heaven. There's first the sky that we see. There's the universe, number two. But then there's the abode of God, the place where God lives. In this passage, he's talking about our sky. He's talking about the universe. The heavens will pass away with a roar. And some translations say heavenly bodies will be burned up. Others say elements. These elements could be the material elements for which the universe is made. Every atom, every molecule burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Scripture says that day is coming, but it's coming like a thief. Anyone had their house broken into? Let me see your hand here. That's a terrible experience. I can't imagine. But let's imagine that your house is broken into. And let's imagine... That, that you're getting ready to go on vacation and, and you pull up to the gas station and the weirdest thing's going on. Right across the pump from you, these two guys are talking. And they're saying, yeah, man, we, man, dude, come on now. Dude, I mean, man, think of all that money we got last night, man. Isn't that a cool thing? And you're just kind of listening and pumping. And they said, yeah, we got that house over on Magnolia Street. Well, tonight, I think we're going to go to that house over on, uh, you know, over on Main Street down there, 1913 Main Street. What's the house? 1913. And you're pumping your gas, and you're thinking, that's my house. <laughs> and your wife's saying, put the gas on them, and I'll throw the match. No. You hang it up, and as soon as you get out of there, you call the police. And then you, listen, if you're any kind of a man, you get your, you, you, you and your kids get out of there, and you tell your wife, honey, be careful. When I, it's a joke. I know you, it takes a little while for you to get there. No. You send your wife and your kids out, and you guard your home because a thief is coming to steal from you. What's the sense? You're ready. Now, here's what Jesus said about this very thing, and we'll look at it further in two weeks. Uh, 
I don't know if I mentioned this yet in this service, but next week we're going to talk about our founding fathers and the faith of our fathers. But, and then we're going with this series. But look, look what Jesus said in Matthew 24. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations, and then the end will come. But before that, I'm sorry, I, need, I, I missed the verse in Matthew 24, 43. Jesus said, if the owner of the house knew the time of night a thief was coming, he would watch and not let the thief be in. Listen to what Jesus said. You also must be, say it with me, ready. Say it again. Ready. You must be ready because the Son of Man's coming when you don't expect him. Now, you say, how do I become ready? Listen, if, you've gone, if your neighbor's fallen asleep, punch him, okay? Don't, don't pinch the baby, but give your neighbor a little punch there because I want you to listen to this. I want to tell you how to be ready for the second coming of Christ and what it means because we're looking not just for the sequence, but we're looking for how to live. Verse 11 says this, Peter said, since all these things are going to be dissolved, the earth and the heavens as we know them, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for, and the next one's amazing, hastening the coming of the day of God? That is that you can live in such a way to speed this day up. It's like a pregnant woman, you know, when she gets to about, I don't know what month, because I'm a guy, but I, when I start looking at him about month seven, you know, when do you do? I've already told you two and a half months from today. 73 days and 12 hours is when I'm due, pastor. <laughs> so it seems like, you know, how do you get ready for this day. Here's what he says. Live a life of holiness. Now, what does it mean to be holy? It means to live separated from the world and separated to God. I don't know about you, but I was kind of living wild in my, in my late teenage years. Anybody else? I was, a worldly, I was a worldly Christian even in my early Christian years. Anybody else? And I'm not perfect today. Anybody else? But here's what Jesus said. You better live differently than people in the world. If you can't tell the difference between the way you live, come on, and the way you, people you work with, that work for you, that play golf with you, that go to school with you, if you laugh at the same jokes, if you go to the same movies, come on now, if you do the same things with your money, if you live in the same way, something is wrong. Shaking the preacher's hand, come on now, will not get you to heaven. Believing and following Christ. And following Christ includes our repentance, our turning from the world unto God is your path to holiness. Listen, we're not talking about sinless perfection on this earth, but we're talking about people that wake up every day of the morning and say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in me. I want to do my best to live for you. And when we mess up or during communion, we say, Lord, forgive me. I did this wrong. I, I, help me to do this right. I want to live for you. That's holy living. To be godly, that's the second way to be ready. Godliness simply means that you are serving the Lord and living in obedience to Him. That is, you're doing something with your life more than watching TV and having fun. Randall Roy, who, as I said earlier, passed away this week. This guy, now he had a disability. He was limited in what he could do. But this guy, I mean, he was just like serving the Lord was his life. He was involved in multiple celebrate recoveries in his life. That's kind of helping Christians when they get out of that lifestyle, drugs and alcohol. I mean, no, that's the way you can turn what was bad around into good. Because nobody can understand what it's like to be a dead drunk than somebody that was there. 
Well, he was helping celebrate recoveries all over town. He was the guy that after service, when people leave their bulletins or, you know, they take stuff out of the back of the chairs, he'd always fill it up. He'd clean it up. He'd go to nursing homes. He'd go to hospitals. I mean, this guy posting on Facebook about, about the Lord, he was serving the Lord until the day of his death. What does that mean? He was living a godly life, and that's how you became, that's how you stay ready each day, living holy, living godly. And number three, this idea of of hastening the coming of the Lord. Remember the scripture I read earlier in Matthew 24 when Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed through the whole world and then the end would come. So do you realize that when you and I, like whether it's uh, missions trips to the Philippines, giving money for Bibles that we hand out to people, you sharing your faith, you are accelerating the coming of Christ? The whole mission of the church and the whole mission of my life and yours should be to populate heaven, to make it hard to go to hell from Texarkana, USA. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let me conclude with verse 13, and then we'll have a little prayer and we'll go home. But verse 13, Peter concludes this passage this way. He says, according to his promise, that's the promise of the Lord, I'm going to make new heavens and a new earth. And listen to this, people won't remember the past or even think about those things. Peter said, according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you realize Isaiah said the same thing 2,700 years before that? Isaiah said, I make new heavens and a new earth, and people won't remember the past or think about those things. What this says to us is basically this. Think back when Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God. They walked with God. They had no shame. They had no guilt. They were living a righteous life. They looked forward every day to being with God. Their life was perfect. But then sin came in the world. Unrighteousness came in. And unrighteousness has been in the world until the latter part of the book of Revelation. And at the latter part of the book of Revelation, everyone that has rejected God and all sin and all evil and Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire. And guess what? People will once again be living with their God. Come on. Righteousness means we'll be living with God, doing what he wants us to do, living in a way that's pleasing to him. Just like Adam and Eve did the Garden of Eden, we're going to have that experience for all eternity in a real place called heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want to go there one day. But until that day, I I want to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? And I want to close with a word of prayer. Now, let me encourage you. If you've already thinking about what you're going to put on your hamburger, put that thought off just a minute. If you're already thinking about whether you're going to get the pork chop or the meatloaf, put that aside just a second. Maybe we need to have a moment with God Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to cement something in our heart. Because what we've been doing this morning is reading from the Bible, making predictions about the future. And my friends, the question I want to ask you today is, are you ready? Are you ready? The way we'll close our service today is we'll have one final song. But during that prayer, that song, we're going to have a prayer team up front, and they'll pray with you about anything. Maybe something in this message has really provoked you in some fashion and you want to talk to somebody, you want prayer. Or maybe you've just got some personal needs that you want God's help with before you go back into the world. We'll pray about anything. But could we all take just a moment and bow our heads before God and just simply say this. Say, Lord, I want to be ready.
Why don't you say it out loud? I want to be ready. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be left behind, and I don't want to waste my life. And I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me about what I heard today? I know I can't control who the Antichrist is going to be, but I can make a fresh choice today to live a holy, godly life. And I want you to just make some affirmation to the Lord. To live a holy life, it means to come out of the world. It means to be separate, to be different. Not live in a monastery, but live the Christian life in a world of darkness. Lord, we want to live holy lives set apart to you. How about that part where it said living a godly life? Are you serving the Lord? Are you endeavoring to live in obedience to Him in your life? Are you doing something with your life more than TV and fun and work? Listen, the kingdom of God is eternal. And one of the greatest gifts we can offer God is the service of our life, our time, our treasure, our abilities, our talents. How about that third thing that Scripture talked about? Hasten the day of the Lord's coming. I'm bringing the gospel everywhere I can. Do you share your faith with people? Have you, have you asked someone lately if they died, are they 100% sure they'd go to heaven? Are you doing anything for missions? This is how we get ready for the future. We live holy lives, godly lives, and we stay focused on our great priority, bringing the gospel to all people. There's a loving God that's trying to use us. Why don't you just slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I'm like a piece of clay, and you're the potter, and I want you to help do in me what you really want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll pick this up in the coming days. As we close with prayer, the altars will be open to anyone that wants prayer. And let me encourage you, don't let anything keep you away. Nobody's going to post your prayer on Facebook. Come on now. It's a private time for you and God. But here's the most important prayer that could be prayed. The most important prayer is this. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell. Maybe the greatest concern you have is your eternal soul. If you would ask me today and say, Pastor, what, what does the Bible say that I have to do to go to heaven? It's very simple, friend. Jesus said, believe in him and follow him. Look to the cross that we celebrated in communion and literally asking God for forgiveness committing your life to follow him. It's a step I took on August 15th, 1976 in a Navy boot camp. Raised in church, but how many know church won't save you? I had to come to a place in my life where I surrendered my life to Christ, where I was willing to walk away from my old and start following Jesus. If that resonates with you, my friend, I promise you, it'll be the best decision you've ever made in your life because Jesus has a better plan for you than you could ever imagine. But it starts with a step We'd like to be there for you as you commit your life to Christ. If you're committing your life to Christ for the first time or you've gotten away from God and today you want to come back, I'm going to encourage you when they begin to sing and people are coming, walk right over to the cross to your right and somebody will meet you there and they'll pray for you. But whatever it is, just begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the front for you now. And if you need prayer, just slip out of your chair with these men and women. Come let somebody pray for you. But most importantly, if you're being drawn to commit your life to Christ, meet us at the cross. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for coming. Let's sing it one last time. Feel our hearts with your love, your love, surrender.